0: Hey fanboy nation.
1: This is your pal Daffy Duck and you're watching. You're watching.
0: We're watching. You're watching fanboy. Fanboy fanboy. Fanboy.
1: fanboy. A
0: fanboy, etc. Fanboy nation.
1: Dot. I assume calm.
0: <laughs> this morning I have the pleasure of speaking with a man whose documentary emasculated me more than anything I had ever expected that 2020 could give me. Uh Chris Bombardier. Uh, The star of Bombardier Blood, who is a hemophiliac that climbed six of the seven world's largest mountains, made me feel like less of a man. I thank you for that, Chris, because now you're getting my fat butt off the the couch. And also with us is the director, Patrick James Lynch. Gentlemen, I hope you guys are well today.
2: Yeah, doing well. Thanks so much, Arthur. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for that intro.
0: Well, you know, we're sitting there, we're watching the documentary, and we're like, Okay, so opening sequence, we're not going to give too many spoilers versus the first quarter of the film or first act of the film. You know, you're trying to inject yourself and trying to find the vein, and, of course, you know, the, the vein's thinner now, and, and it's harder to, to find the injection point. Um, you know, a lot of people growing up, I grew up in the 80s, I think, and knowing, you know, oh, someone that had hemophilia, um, if they even stubbed their toe, it could be life-threatening at some point. And here you are being this world adventurer, like, how many people get mad at you for that? Like,
1: how has your mom not killed you th-
0: this uh, this far?
1: That that that's a great question. <laughs> how my mom hasn't killed me? Uh, <laughs> and Same with my wife too. Yeah, they're they're both pretty understanding. But yeah, uh,
2: <laughs>
1: I don't think anybody said they hate me for it. But they're like, "Are you you're doing you're doing what?"
2: <laughs>
1: Which is pretty rad. I mean, there is a level of jealousy, I assume. <laughs> you
2: <know? laughs>
1: Maybe you know. Uh, I I guess, you know, I I think it's just, you know, I found something I really loved and I just decided to go for it, you know, and figure out how to do it. So it's pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: Uh, Patrick, you have to go along on this journey as well. And, you know, are there any times of your great concern? Because you have to separate yourself as the filmmaker from someone involved in this. And you see, you know, Chris going through these things and there's potential injury and potential death. And, like, at some point, do you want to sit there and cut the documentary and go, listen, man, we've had enough. You've done more than anyone else has?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. You know, as a, as a person with hemophilia who is a filmmaker and also an advocate, I was very, um, not cautious, but concerned at the beginning about what messaging were we sending out there. For Chris to be doing this for himself and to be striving to do something extraordinary, that's his right. He's working with his doctors and his loved ones on on the right way to train and manage his treatment and all of that. But to create a film about it and to push it out there is to, in a way, suggest to the greater bleeding disorders community that they should be thinking beyond their own limits, which is a good thing. But of course, Chris's limits were literally the dream that he was pursuing is literally climbing Mount Everest. So while his, his message hasn't been everyone with hemophilia should climb Everest, It has been everyone with hemophilia shouldn't have hemophilia be the thing that stops them from pursuing their dream. But nevertheless, our movie was about an Everest climb. So at the beginning, I was really concerned about it. But as I got to know Chris, because we weren't friends at the beginning of this, we knew of each other. But our relationship, which has gotten very close, grew from the project. Um, But once I understood that he was hyper responsible, he had climbed by the time we got together to talk about this five of the seven. He had Everest and Vincent left. Um, He had the same climbing guy for four out of those five and had the intentions on using the same person for the next two. There was such responsibility taken on his part that after I talked with enough medical professionals and doctors and some advocates, some uh, patient advocacy leaders within the bleeding disorders community to just get a sense, is anyone else concerned that this might be a bad idea, kind of to put it simply? Uh, Overwhelmingly, the answer was no. The answer was no. And I think in large part that has to do with who Chris is. Right. I think if he if he handled this or went about his business a bit more recklessly, then I think the uh, perceptions and the receptivity would be way different. But fortunately, Chris is who he is, and this project has been nothing short of extraordinarily inspiring for the entire global bleeding disorders community, which is an insane thing to say.
0: Now, you mentioned you're also a hemophiliac yourself, or did I hear that wrong?
2: No, you're right. I I have hemophilia and unfortunately lost my little brother to hemophilia when he was 18 and I was 21. So that started me on this mission of wanting to use my my skills as a storyteller and a filmmaker and a producer to create entertainment that was directly impacting people's lives in a very specific way and and most specifically within the hemophilia world. So I guess it was kind of destiny that if Chris was going to climb Everest and I was going to be doing what I was doing, that we would be doing this together.
0: So now as the director – you have to climb the mountain with him. So it's two hemophiliacs going up Mount Ephraim together. Or are you the director that just showed up via helicopter, plopped down for this, for the shot and then took off?
2: I don't know if we had a total budget. That was enough to account for one helicopter ride, actually. So no, the helicopter was not my route, but, uh, but to your question, I wasn't on Everest with Chris. I was actually I've I'm, I'm kind of been writing about this a little bit because that was um, a moment for me on a few levels to have to kind of come to terms with that. Because of our budget and the skill sets of our team, and Everest is a two-month commitment. Once you're on the mountain, so never mind everything that it takes to get there and the cost. But it's two months on the mountain is extremely expensive. So I had to come to terms with Rob Bradford, our producer and the mountain DP uh, and director. Being the one who would be on the mountain with Chris to uh, execute the most critical moments, which, again, as a, as a director, that was that came with some you know learning to let go to empower others and to, uh, like, you know, realize you don't control everything. So right. I, I was not on, on the mountain, though I was in Nepal with Chris, meeting the other people with hemophilia in Nepal. And that was emotionally, that was my um, most profound moment was meeting these guys who, like Chris and I, have hemophilia, but because they're born in Nepal. If, if they see past 10 years of age, which statistically would make them lucky, um, the quality of life, the pain that they're in, it's so, 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 so different. I'm glad that this film enables us to tell that story, too. Well,
0: I'm glad you guys told that story, and I'm glad that you guys touched upon the, the risk factor that you guys had in the, uh, in the 80s and early 90s, um, where if you guys had gotten blood transfusions by somebody that had HIV or AIDS, that it was life-threatening to you uh, any, any time that you had to be under the needle. So I'm, I'm glad that you guys reminded everybody of that. Um, Chris, I have to ask you, you know, you went, you were a baseball player. Your, your goal was a world series ring. You end up climbing the world's tallest mountains instead because of those limitations regarding baseball. Um, are you still a baseball fan or have you turned baseball off in your life?
1: Oh no, I'm still a huge fan. Uh it, I try and watch as many games as I can and go to games. Uh I don't I don't play anymore, but I'm a pretty obsessed baseball, baseball fan. Unfortunately, I'm a fan of the Rockies, so it's been a rough rough go for a while. They're doing well this year, but you know, a lot, yeah, mostly uh mostly disappointment with the Rockies so far, but you know. <laughs> Do you have your cardboard cut out at the Rockies games? I do not have a cardboard cut out, but, uh, it has been cool. I actually have gotten to see a few games. You know, I moved to Massachusetts, so we don't get like the local, you know, Colorado coverage much, but I still have seen a couple of Rockies games, which has been good. So yeah, it's good to see baseball back.
0: Right. Your uncle Dave was a big influence on you as an adventurer. You know, he's like, oh, I give everything up and move to the mountains and forget everybody because he just really wanted to go skiing all the time. Um, you know, so he's kind of, kind of like a secondary father figure to you after your own dad. Um, was there some point growing up where he's like, look, kid, you know, you're, you're pushing it too
1: much. You know, I wasn't super close with Dave, uh, when I was growing up, it wasn't until after college and I started hanging out with him and going out outdoors. And he never once like said, you know, I was pushing it too far. He, he, he was a really great mentor in the sense that he just encouraged me to, to kind of, like, chase those goals. But he also emphasized the fact that, like, I need to take care of myself and be responsible um, for for my, my health while I'm out there. Um, you know, he always emphasized the fact that when you're going outdoors, you know, if, if something goes wrong, you're not just putting yourself in jeopardy. You're putting your, your climbing team in jeopardy, too. Mm-hmm. So You need to be on top of stuff. So, you know, he, he just emphasized that and, and essentially was like, you you need to figure out how to take care of yourself. If you want to go out and do this, I'm all you know, going to be supportive of it. Um, but, yeah, he never once, like, tried to turn me away from it. He just was like, if that's what you want to do, let's do it. Um, but we're going to do it in, the, in a safe way, which I think, you know, really helps translate to those big mountains especially. Right.
0: Now, gentlemen, I'm asking these questions from the perspective of a worried parent, not from the perspective of somebody <laughs> judging you. So please don't don't take it as that regard. Um, but, sure. you know, because there are a lot of worried parents out there that have children with hemophilia. So I'm looking at this from from their aspect. But when you have somebody like Dave and then you have somebody like Chris and then Patrick making the film on top of it, do you guys sit there and go, see, you don't have as much to worry about as you thought you did? Like, you know, it's not this end-all, be-all fear factor that that once was there. Yes, you have to be cautious, but not to the extent that everyone once thought up until 20 years ago.
2: Yeah, I'd say that's that's fair, and then, you know, kind of laddering down from that, we hear about individualized medicine and personalized medicine and how that leads to the best outcomes for patients, the most cost-effective means of treatment uh, for hospitals and caregivers, uh, lowest cost for payers. Um, But what optimized and personalized healthcare really entails is getting to understand oneself and the options available scientifically, from a lifestyle standpoint, based on that individual patient and family's goals, the burden that the disease state puts on their life. So once upon a time, and not that long ago, to your point, in the 80s, 90% of people contracted HIV and hepatitis C. But just two decades prior to that, I mean, people were lucky to see 20 years old in the United States. That's just going back 60, 70 years. That is not a long time. But now, there's so much treatment that has been made available. There is still so much to learn, but a lot that has been learned about the science, breakthroughs in clinical trials and development of new treatments. Gene therapy is on the horizon, which is going to be a total game changer, not just for hemophilia, but any disease state that benefits from those drugs. So there's so many different options out there and so many different health systems and um, opportunities to access these treatments and services that what it means to live with hemophilia or really any well, we'll stick with hemophilia. What it means to live specifically with hemophilia, uh, it, it really is different for every single person. Even within the same household, siblings with the same diagnosis, they express differently. They have different symptoms. They respond differently to injuries and impacts. So it's a different experience for everyone. Chris could climb Everest. I cannot. You know, put, I'll put aside what I said earlier about budget and time. If I tried to do what Chris did, I could not because of where my body is at. And that's okay, too. That's okay, too.
0: And you guys touched upon in the documentary that there's two types of hemophilia, hemophilia A and hemophilia B, which I had no idea about until that. Could you explain that just ever so slightly so people get a grasp of it that haven't watched the documentary yet?
1: You
2: want to take that one, Chris?
1: Yeah, I'll take that one. Um, so hemophilia A, um, essentially, so both both conditions are caused by a genetic mutation um, that essentially makes it so your body doesn't produce a certain protein in your blood that helps it clot. So, in hemophilia A, you're missing uh, that protein called factor eight, and in hemophilia B, you're missing the protein called factor nine. So, we're just missing a different protein, but uh, um, you know, the symptoms and the and the the presentation of the you know um, bleeding disorder are very similar. Um,
0: di- difficulties in having children because this is a genetic mutation, so. It's obviously, you know, part of part of the genetic makeup. Is there a fear of having kids and that they would end up having hemophilia as well, or is this just a specific mutation to the individual person?
1: So um, it's actually an X-linked um, condition. So that means that um, uh, it's passed down generally from mothers to sons. So um, that's how I uh, ended up with hemophilia. So... Um, You know, if Patrick or I have kids, you know, if we have a daughter, she would be what's known as a carrier. So she'd have a mutated X chromosome, but then also the X from uh, the mother. Um, but if we have sons, they would not have uh, hemophilia. But, you know, if our daughters, say we have daughters, they have a son, they have a 50-50 uh, chance to have hemophilia. Got it.
0: So, you know, in Freud's case, he can blame the mother on this one altogether. <laughs>
1: and and you know
2: you i see you mentioned earlier too like the history of hemophilia being a little bit frightening there are families too who have lost a father have lost an uncle who have lost various family members so the decision for say a woman carrier in this instance who lost her but her dad maybe growing up this is a very common story to now be of childbearing age and to have to decide do i want to go through this as I said earlier, treatment and care, all of that's improved a lot. But if you psychologically have this really traumatic back history and you could make a different choice in your family planning, maybe you will. And some people do. Um, so again, the treatment's there, but it doesn't mean necessarily that, that having a child with hemophilia is the right decision for everyone.
0: Right. Um, I wanted to touch on this and I'm glad that you brought that up more so than anything because, you know, family planning has become a big part of uh, Western society as well. It's not expected anymore to just have children or just to keep the bloodline going Um, you know with with something like this and it's very hard to see because I I had friends growing up you know like you said that didn't make it past a certain age and you know one wrong bump and it was over for them Um, Alex Borstein is the executive producer on this documentary and when we think Alex normally we think you know Miss Swan from Mad TV we think uh, Lois on Family Guy and so on and so forth you know, she's a very funny person. We both went to San Francisco State University uh roughly the same time. How did she become mm-hmm. a part of this project? Like she graduated like a year or two before I did, so
2: Oh funny. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah, unexpected, right? You're like right. Miss Mazel, family guy, mad T V Hemophilia documentary. Right. She is a carrier of hemophilia. Um in fact she herself um identifies as someone who has mild hemophilia, as mm-hmm. does her daughter. And her yeah. brother has severe hemophilia. He's um He's experienced some of the complications that we previously talked about. So when Chris and I were making some headway on this project, we've known Alex over the years just from hemophilia advocacy work, and she's been pretty involved. Um, so when, when this was at a place that I could share it with her, I asked if she would consider coming on board, and she didn't take too much time and said, yeah, absolutely, I'd love to help. So she's been an extraordinary supporter. She brought a bunch of the cast from Maisel to this big screening we had in Times Square, New York, with the New York city hemophilia advocacy group there. Um, she's been doing interviews and doing everything she can to help spread the word. So she's been nothing short of um, an extraordinary executive producer. I think those things can kind of go a bunch of different ways, uh, depending on the relationships and the connection to the project. But this has been a pretty idyllic circumstance. Well,
0: I'm glad that it, that it worked out. And you know, that, uh, the documentary is fantastic by the way. Cinematography is amazing. You know, for what you're telling me with a limited budget, it looks like you pulled off a uh, a major motion picture style uh, documentary.
2: <laughs> Thank you. Well, the co- our company is called Believe Limited. And people <laughs> often say, How come it's not Believe Unlimited? And I say, Because that's not the way it works. You <laughs> believe big, you aspire, you hope, you try to do something big and grandiose. But at the end of the day, there's timelines, there's budgets, and there's just the reality that you're living within, which is always going to restrict you. So it's Believe Limited. So I appreciate you. <laughs> Um, uh, giving that feedback because that says to me that we did do the most we could with what we had.
0: Well, you might have had limited funds, but you definitely had unlimited talent with this one.
2: <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh,
0: Chris, I know that you, you've been voted board of, uh, you know, a uh, member of the board of directors uh, for, for um, I forgot the name of the organization. Please remind me of that in a second. Um, but you've climbed every single mountain in the world. That, you know, is on the ultimate, you know, adventurer's bucket list. What is retirement for you? Like, you know, you're not even, okay. you know, you're not even 40 yet. You're sitting there, you're like, yeah, I did it all. I almost made pro baseball. I climbed seven, all seven major peaks. Um, eh, you know, like what's <laughs> left? You know, either, either it's like parenthood, which could be a challenge, or it could be, you know, uh, anything at this point, you know, like what's a challenge left for you?
2: <laughs> yeah, you know,
1: um, so, you know, throughout the climbs, you know, a big focus of mine was to, you know, well, raise awareness for Save One Life, which is the organization that you're mentioning. Um, and and I also, you know, decided that I wanted to make a career out of uh, helping people in developing countries, you know, with, with some sort of medical, you know, uh, help, um, specifically with uh, bleeding disorders. Um, so that's been my kind of big focus since finishing the climbs is uh I actually moved out to Massachusetts and became the executive director of Table and Life. So I get to actually do the work, not just raise awareness. I actually get to be the one working with our partners in 14 different countries, trying to make it make a difference in that sense. Um, and I'm finishing school right now, uh, getting a master's uh, degree in global health. Um, but, yeah, uh, I think, the, you know, one of the big challenges is trying to find ways to um, make a bigger impact and help more people with bleeding disorders in developing countries. Um, but I do have some, some uh, pretty big – well, not, I don't know if they're really big, but I have some ideas for other adventures <laughs> that I'd love to go on. So I'd love to – I want to do a trip to the South Pole so you can ski from the coast of Antarctica to the to the pole it's like 500 miles and takes like 45 days and i, I have that on my list it's something i want to try someday <laughs> uh I, I last time i was in antarctica for that last climb i just fell in love with it it was just the most beautiful place i think i've ever been and so i want to go check it out again and and i think that'd be a fun adventure um and then yeah i think uh you know starting a family with my wife i think that would be a whole different kind of adventure <laughs> and challenge and what people don't know is by 2025, Chris Bombardier will have
0: discovered the lost cities of Atlantis and Troy and, you know, bring back artifacts <laughs> on his own with a snorkel. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I like that. I, mean, <laughs> you know, you know,
2: I don't <laughs> need an Another oxygen. Tank.
0: Right, of course. You know, I'm, I'm just teasing because, I mean, just alone climbing one mountain is an adventure. Climbing all seven with a blood disorder on top of it is just, you're superhuman at this point. Um, (laughs) I I, I have to ask this mother uh, this question on your mother's behalf. All right. You know, from her perspective. (laughs) So you climb Everest, that's mountain six of seven. Right. And then you still finally and you finally get the approval from Antarctica to go there and climb their peak. Did your mother look at you after Everest and go, really, you really have to do this one now?
1: No, you know, you know, after Everest, I think she was just so thankful that went well. Uh, and, and Mount Vincent in, in Antarctica is much more mellow. It's still a mountain, but it's much more mellow than Everest. I think she was very excited for me to go. And I think she may have been like hoping that, all right, he's going to do that one and then he'll be done. <laughs> so I think she's part, partly still hoping that's the case. But, you know. <laughs> we'll, we'll see, <laughs> uh,
0: Chris. I, I'm telling you all of this out of envy and jealousy, m- more so than anything. But uh, the truth is, I'm I'm very excited for you and everything that you've accomplished in, in your life thus far. So I want to congratulate you on all of that. Uh, you know, more so than anything. I mean, the jealousy is there because you know uh, I'm just be- admitting what every other man is sitting there going. Well, I don't feel like a man. I can't watch this with my wife or whatever. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. <laughs> you know, uh, Pat, Patrick. You know, you're you're a, an amazing director with with all of this. Uh, something that you learned about Chris that you did not expect to learn while making the documentary.
2: Thank you for that um, compliment. Something that I did not expect to learn about Chris. Um, I mean, I, this might be a cop out, but I, I really didn't expect that he'd become one of my closest friends. I didn't expect that we would, you know, we're, very, we're the same age, we have hemophilia A and B, but both severe, it's impacted our lives similarly. We've, we have shared a perspective on sort of the global disparity being something of interest to us before we met. So, I mean, I, and I don't wanna get overly dramatic here, but I mentioned earlier, you know, I, I lost my brother and that kind of put me on this quest to do what I could to improve people's lives of hemophilia with what I had to offer. And I, I'd say through this project, in a lot of ways, I, I picked up a brother in Chris. And, I, again, I don't mean to sound trite or dramatic, but I wouldn't say it unless I meant it.
0: That sounds great, man. Uh, and I'm just I'm smiling to hear this because, you know, I lost my dad uh, tragically as well, not, not to a blood disorder. But, you know, when you lose somebody and then you find somebody uh, close enough to uh, – to be a, uh, a second-in-command, essentially, is, is very heartwarming. Um, is there anything that ended up on the cutting room floor, you know, to use the old film term, since everything's digital now, uh, <laughs> that you really wanted to put in, in the uh, in the film or that will end up on a DVD bonus that didn't make the final <laughs> cut?
2: Yes. In fact, we actually, through our social media properties, so Bombardier Blood is on all the expected social media platforms, and we released a deleted scene that, I think, Chris, Um, I I think I actually almost risked my relationship to you and Jess by originally (laughs) cutting the scene and then they were pleased to keep the scene in there. But um, there's a pretty emotional moment before Jess and Chris uh, part while on the mountain that was in there for a long, long time. And I think think it was the last big cut that we made, about a two and a half minute scene during their goodbye. But it is currently available on all of the social media sites. So if you want to get a taste of the film and, and see this particularly emotional moment, uh, you can check out your Blood social handles for that.
0: Fantastic. Uh, gentlemen, before I leave you today, uh, what would you like to tell parents um, of children with hemophilia or adult hemophiliacs, um, you know, something supportive for them and then other people that are either learning about hemophilia or just started a relationship with somebody with hem- uh, hemophilia and how everyone should just behave or what to expect essentially?
2: Um. Um. I. Have, I'll, I'll, you want to go first, Patrick? <laughs> sure, I'm happy to. Um. You know, I would like. I, I would like any parents, especially who's. I think about parents a lot, and not just parents of kids with hemophilia, but you know, it, Chris's story in a lot of ways is a, is a David versus Goliath power of the human spirit overcome the odds. He has hemophilia, and his quest was to climb Mount Everest, and his cause is the global community. But just from a storytelling perspective. If if you're in need of of 85 minutes that you can spend either by yourself or with your partner or with an entire family, knowing that you can have an experience that will make you laugh, make you cry, expose you to some beautiful parts of the world, and really bring you on a journey that, I I don't know if other, there's been a lot of other Everest documentaries. We're not the first to do that. We weren't trying to be. As we already talked about, we didn't have the budget that some have. We weren't trying to win some awards for cinematography. So we were covered in variety for our cinematography. So how about that? But I did bank on if we give people as intimate an opportunity to be with Chris, be in his head, be in his heart, be with him at every step of the way, then I think our story has the ability to do something that none other has. And I believe we accomplished that. So I'd encourage anyone to watch it, but most especially if you're a parent who needs some kind of inspiring, uplifting content to either share with your kids or watch with your kids during this bizarro time we're living through, Bombardier Blood could be that content.
1: And Chris, and just to add, yeah, just to add, you know, um, I think for what I what I'm hoping that you know the bleeding disorder specifically will take away, but maybe it translates outside of that, is you know um, that just just finding a passion and something that that gives you purpose um, is is just an amazing way to like uh, you know pursue your life, and that hemophilia doesn't have to hold you back from from that passion or that purpose. You know, whether it's climbing mountains or, you know, making films like Patrick, um, you know, that's why I was really excited to make this with Patrick is he's the guy with hemophilia chasing his dream. And I'm a guy with hemophilia chasing a very different dream. Um, but that, you know, despite having hemophilia, we we found ways to get to make it happen. Um, and, you know, it, it there's bumps in the road and there's hard times and uh, challenges. But uh, if you keep taking those steps forward, it's amazing how far you get. Um, and then also just, you know, I, I'm really hoping that this documentary sheds light on just the drastic disparity in, in healthcare around the, wor- around the world, whether it's hemophilia or not, um, you know, and, and just hoping it uh, opens up some compassion and empathy in people um, to realize um, what, what our world looks like and just give some perspective. Well, from your lips to God's ears with that. Gentlemen, before I let you go, remind us
0: of the release date of the documentary and where we can find you on social media if we want to see th- not only this clip. But, you know, again, uh, follow Patrick's journey through filmmaking. And then, you know, Chris, again, discovering Troy and, uh, and
1: Atlantis.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'll kick off and let Chris fill in where you can follow that journey. Uh, so Bombardier Blood, the title of the film on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's where you can keep up with the film and the information to see deleted scenes as we release them. August 18th, it's available broadly. But right now, as we're recording this, we're actually the number one pre-ordered film for August 18th on iTunes, not documentary, film. And we're trying to keep hemophilia up atop the list. So if you're hearing this, go to iTunes and either pre-order it now or order it if it's after the 18th. As much attention as we can drive there only helps us get even more coverage on the film and on the story. And Chris?
1: Yeah, and, and, and for my, I guess, personal adventures, I like adventures of a hemophiliac, I think. I don't not the good at the social media like handles and stuff.
2: Adventure um, hemo um, is usually what the the handle is. Adventure hemo. The yeah, brand is adventures like of that. a hemophiliac. We're still working on all this stuff, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Patrick tells me. And then uh for Save One Life, it's really just Save One Life on all the platforms. Um so, you know, you check out what what we're doing uh for people in developing countries as well. Perfect. Gentlemen, you made me tear up watching the documentary.
0: You made me tear up in this conversation. I'm thrilled to have talked to the both of you. Hopefully, I'll get to meet you face-to-face at some point and just let you know in person so you can see my facial reactions as to how much I enjoyed the film.
2: Thanks, man. This was a great conversation.
0: Oh, thank you, guys. I'm honored. All right. Have a great day, and, uh, you know, we'll be in touch soon.
2: Take care. You as well.
0: Bye-bye. Bye-bye.